Literature with Nancy Richards. Well, coming up in the second hour of SFN Literature, we're going to start off with a writing discipline that I think transcends digital and print and oral tradition. It's poetry. And uh, we're going to be talking to the author of a much-acclaimed book called Bear and Breaking. It is, in fact, her debut anthology, Karen Shimka. And uh, I've also called her a poetry evangelist, but I'm not sure if that's fair. But see, certainly she's very passionate about poetry, so we're going to be hearing all about her particular passion and also about the book. In Bookshelf, our reader today is actor, radio presenter, Abongile Manka. She'll be giving us her title of choice. And don't forget, it's a moment for you to let us know what you're reading and why you like what you're reading and why you don't like what you're reading. Share it with us. You can pop us a mail at books at safm.co.za. And then in our story feed today, in place of a documentary, we're going to be hearing the story of a man and his food. He's Neil Stemmett. He's a designer. He's a foodie. He's a blogger. And he's going to be sharing his story as it appears all on a plate in a book called Salt and Pepper. So that's what we've got lined up. So uh, do stay with us. And if you want to give us a call, you're welcome. It's... Uh, 0892102010, So poetry taking centre stage in our book two feature in the form of a debut collection by Karen Shimka, uh, who brings with her to, studio, to the studio copy. In fact, she's got her copy here. It's called Bear and Breaking. Lovely title. Uh, it was nominated for the 2013 South African Literary Awards, and uh, on awards she was also shortlisted for the Sol Plyke European Union Poetry Award, for a new poem called Truffler, which is not in Bear and Breaking, but we are going to expose it right here on the air. Lovely to have you with us, Karen. Very, very, very nice to have you with us. Thank you. Um, and nice to have you with us because I read you a lot, because you're also book editor of the Cape Times, so it's nice to read that, that you walk the talk. Um, lovely, lovely, lovely. So, Bear and Breaking, I call it your debut collection, but it's not, I mean, certainly it's not the first time you've written a poem. I think poems have been in your life for a long time. Yes, they have. I think like um, most poets, I was a closet poet for a really long time. Um, I did write at school, um, and I was mortified a while ago when somebody found a poem of mine in, the old, in an old school magazine. I was mortified. It was so embarrassing. But um, I have been writing for a very long time, and there was a point at which I realized that it wasn't, um, it wasn't just a little thing that I wanted to do on the side. I realized that I wanted to try harder and be better at it because I read so many wonderful poems and wonderful poems don't happen um, just in the moment. You have to work at them. So I started working at it more seriously. Um, Bear and Breaking is, came together simply because I realized at some point that I had um, poems that almost formed a kind of narrative. I had enough poems that cohered around a theme and I decided to put them together in a book. But this certainly isn't representative of, of um, all the poems that I have written in my life. Interesting that you call yourself a closet poet and also that you felt that it wasn't just a little thing that you do on this side because poetry can be relegated a bit to a little thing that people do on this side because, it, you know, if you ask somebody if they write poetry, they say, oh, yes, I've always written poetry, <laughs> really, you know, and they, they sort of dabble and it's, and it's easy to sort of come up with a whole bunch of words that, you know, form some sort of theme and rhythm and, and so on. Um, but a closet poet, things that you do so many other different types of writing. I mean, you uh, are book editor of the Cape Times, but you do all sorts of other writings as well, yes. which require different spaces in your brain, I would imagine. I mean, writing of the poetry feels like one that you do in a separate kind of space. Uh, it, it does feel like that um, to some extent, uh, I, but I think that the, um, um, I think that in fact, the, the, the possibly poetry 
comes from some other spot in my brain. But I think it all gets filtered through the same process. And it's sweet. <laughs> um, um, in the sense that I, you know, I feel very strongly about um, editing and the role of editors and the role of your own editor and so on. A lot of people are frightened because they feel that what arrives on the page or what they see on the page is something that that arose from the ether perfectly formed and in fact it isn't like that but all ideas um, whether it's for journalistic pieces that I'm writing columns that I've written in the past or stories that I'd like to pursue or poems in fact um, all come from the chaos of ideas uh, and and um, uh, the chaos of ideas uh, are, are sort of a a boiling cauldron of things going on um, which consists both of abstract ideas and of um, words. Now the, the, the poetry it comes more out of that section of the cauldron that has to do with the sound of words um, but uh, and, and some experiences or emotions are better expressed uh, through poetry for me but often are better expressed through poetry for me because I'm allowed to play with the sound a lot more than you can and in journalism, for instance. Um, but once, uh, once, once something has emerged from the chaos to turn into, into, into some form, um, whether it's journalistic or, or poetry, um, it, go, it goes down on the page as unedited as possible. That's a very separate process from the editing. Um, and once it's there, and I feel that it has something uh, more uh, to do in the world, I will work on it and edit it. It's just the way that I will edit my ideas around um, journalistic pieces that I'm that I'm or doing. If you were a painter, that you would keep on working on a painting until it was right, as opposed to just sort of bashing it out yes. and there it was. Although one could argue that neither a painting or a poem is ever right. Yes, <laughs> yes, nor yes. ever finished. Just yes. The, yes, there's just a point at which you stop fiddling with it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you tell uh, Michelangelo that. Mm. Um, Yes, yes, gosh, a lot of things. I love your, I love your image of the, the cauldron, and I suppose there will be two cauldrons, one with, with the ideas and one with the words, and it would be a matter of a pinch of this and a pinch of that and putting the two together. Mm. But just to digress for a moment, you would have been interested then, if you were listening to what Jared had to say about digital media and the issue of so many people being able to contribute to websites where it gets contributed very quickly and not necessarily worked and edited and shaped and preened and, um, yes. you know, sorted. Is that an issue for you? Um, I missed that part of the conversation, but I was very interested in the part that I did hear, which is the idea that uh, media content has to be... Um, is, is, uh, is is received in the world as something which should be free. And you made the point uh, that it makes it very difficult uh, for journalists and writers. And it's something that I'm having a very hard time with this year. I'm feeling quite bitter, in fact, about it. The fact that that um, good writing um, and um, the, the, the organization of, of, of um, thoughts around an idea, the research and the care that is taken with words is, is, is no longer considered to be something of value. Um, and and, it, and it, it threatens me directly as a, as a journalist and as a writer because that is where and that is how I make my money. And it is quite shocking, appalling to imagine that I started off my career 20 years ago with no idea that what I'm doing is, is, um, is contributing towards a dying, a dying thing, you know. I, I try to um, 
become more positive about it sometimes so that eventually people will care about whether something is written well enough to be able to pay for it. Um, so I'm just going to keep hammering away at that yeah. in the hope that more and more I'm asked to write things for free. And in fact, I do wish that I had brought along the poem that I recently wrote in which I rage against this idea of writing okay. for free. Well, <laughs> won't, you, won't you send it through or maybe we can get you on the line again at another stage and you can perhaps just vent it because yes. I, think, I think it's important. I mean, I hear exactly what you're saying. Yeah, maybe the worm will turn and maybe people will get tired of sort of underworked pieces of, of written material mm. uh, in these days of TripAdvisor you know everybody's got a voice and everybody's got a right to have a voice mm. but people who have worked very hard to create something um, it doesn't necessarily mean because you worked hard on something that is better but it does mean that it's been done with a great deal of expertise and in your case with a great deal of passion I'm going to take you off the, the platform that allows you to vent about that and bring mm-hmm. you back to Poetry, because the other thing about the different types of writing that you do, it feels like, and in this particular case even more so, that poetry comes from quite a personal place uh, in one's writing. One doesn't write a poem to celebrate um, the the beauty of a computer, or what I suppose you might, but it feels like poetry is a very, very personal thing, which maybe makes those cauldrons of ideas and words even hotter. Mm. You know, I've um, always been accused um, my whole life long of being too emotional. (laughs) Um, And I'm not sure what that means, um, because I feel that I am, uh, on a daily basis, fairly in control of my emotions and a fairly functioning human being. Um, But perhaps I just have always um, been... uh, Perhaps what I am is less afraid of my of my feelings, and I and actually um, I I think that this is something I feel quite strongly about. In general, we are very frightened of the intensity and the excesses of our emotional lives, and um, the arts are a way. And perhaps this is what poetry is for me: is a way to um, to to both bear the intensity of our feelings and also to get great pleasure from it, because. No matter how many ways I come at poetry or why I like it, the only thing that ever surfaces over and over again is that it is pure pleasure for me. Poetry is absolute pleasure. I have such pleasure in the way that words can be fitted together and made to mean something completely new. I'm so married to to the... Um, to the, 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 the way the world is presented to me in a new way. Each time I read um, a poem that works beautifully from a rhythmic and, and um, sound point of view and where words have been, have been thrown together that you don't expect. In fact, one of the reasons why people, probably the main reason people often say that they don't like poetry they'll very often follow up with, I don't understand poetry. So there is this wonderful American poet called Billy Collins who, wrote, who, writes, who writes funny poetry. I mean, if you think that poetry needs to be serious and deep all the time, you really should read Billy Collins. And he writes, he, he writes in one poem that, that students are, are, are taught to, to tie a poem to a chair and beat the meaning out of it. You know? <laughs> and, and that's the reason why people... Um, are averse to poetry because they don't get it, you know, they don't understand what it's trying to communicate to them. And for some reason, I was blessed in that nobody made me try to think about the meaning before the sound in, uh, um, engaged me and just, and just blew me away. And there is music and poetry that isn't in music like 
um, Brayton Breitenbach wrote a poem called um, Your Letter is Delightful, and it sounds like this. It starts like this. Your letter is delightful, larger and lighter than the thoughts of a flower when a dream is the earth of a garden. I've had those words in my head since I was at high school because of the rhythm. It's, I, I, you know, it took me years to find out what that poem meant. And it's the same with the love song of Alfred, uh, Alfred uh, Prufrock, um, uh, which, in which he says, Let us go then, you and I, when evening is spread out against the sky like a patient etherized upon a table. I still have no idea what that poem is about, but I can read it over and over and over again. Poetry is just pleasurable to me. You're still measuring out your life in coffee spoons. Yes, (laughs) Yes, goodness me. Well, just whilst we're on words and the sound of words, I'm feeling that we need to hear a poem. Um, One of the the poem Truffler, for which you were were shortlisted for the sole plight of European Union Poetry Award, uh, is not in Bear and Breaking. Would you like to read that one for us? Yes, I'll read this one. Um, I, I, I think that this poem, um, well, I know that where the images of this poem came from, they came from once having um, really strangely gotten involved in watching a video, uh, a documentary about about the hogs that dig up truffles um, in France. Now, I don't, I've never even tasted a truffle, so this is a poem, is an example of a, writing a poem about something about which you know nothing. But those images struck me very, very deeply somehow. But the poem, I suppose, is an extended me- uh, metaphor, really. Truffler. I, the earth and hot, swell my fruiting bodies for the hog's horny snuffling. In root arms that wade beneath bush and compost, I hide salty treats and resist, but only just his snouting. He noses folds, balls clods aside with his face, a trotter ready but unequal. He plays the mild hunter, nudging and ruffling underbrush and mud, and I, oh, loose-limbed and loose and lucky, until sods are so loosed I thrum the lumps and pillows of my ground bed. He finds the summer truffle, tosses it up and mouths it from the sky, where a slow-melting morning toffees over. Wow, that is one boiling cauldron. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking to Karen Shimka, and uh, we're going to be talking to her a little more in just a minute. Stay with us. We're talking poetry here on SFM Literature. We're talking to Karen Simka and her latest book, or her first uh, debut collection, anthology of poems, is called Bear and Breaking. The Truffler was a powerful piece, I have to say, Karen. I'm wanting to say follow that. <laughs> but, but before we do read another poem from your book, tell us a little bit about the book. It's a very, uh, uh, it's quite an emotional sounding title. Even the title sounds uh, emotional. It sounds very raw. Tell us a little bit about the book. And the narrative that you were describing that came together. Um, I suppose it's obvious that it's not a particularly happy book. <laughs> um, in fact, a friend of mine kept saying, don't call it bear and breaking. Nobody's going to buy it. And I just said to him, well, nobody buys poetry anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, the, the poems in this are um, poems that I wrote over many years. Um, and they have to do with um, love. And they have to do with the end of love 
um, and um, really, I think that a lot of this was. I, I was. I was. Um, uh, I, I, I put the whole thing. Together. Well, a lot of the poems. Sorry, I'm sorry that I'm blabbering. Like no, it. <laughs> a lot sounds, of it sounds like love and the end of love, which <laughs> causes a person to yes get yes, confused. In, indeed, I mean, I didn't know that you could come undone quite so, quite so badly by the end of love, but one does. <laughs> um, and um, so uh, during during the period um, uh, in which many of the poems in this book were written, um, I really was coming apart at the seams, and um, I ha- almost have no recollection of, you know, five years of my life um, when everything that was was no longer and was falling apart, and yet I carried on working. I'm always amazed. I find things that I wrote during the time, but the one thing that I wrote um, that I knew that I was writing was I was writing so many poems and it felt like some sort of um, um, it felt like ballast in a way. It felt as though, um, as though I was I was trying to build a house in a hurricane um, and it made no sense at all, but the one thing that I could do during a very difficult time was to, was to, to solidify um, those slippery um, feelings which change from moment to moment um, and write a poem. Um, um, it really, I suppose one could say, is about the breakdown of a marriage, but it's not only about that. It's about, um, about other um, sorts of, sorts of love, loves and uh, um, lovers that I've had in my life um, and so on. Um, so, yes, it was um, a friend of mine called it a, mem- a memorial to my divorce. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do hope that um, that, that uh, my next won't be quite as terrible. <laughs> and hopefully you will remember the process of having put it all together. You, you say, I mean, despite the fact that it is to do with a, a lot of lust, loss, lust and loss and pain and all those things, I think it, it is a complete thing out of which you do emerge at the end. Did it help? That's, that's a thing that... Um, uh, that is quite controversial, and I have often heard writers get very angry, and people say, "Was it therapy for you?" Mm, mm. Was it um, cathartic? Yeah. Yes, and was it cathartic? I'm I'm not sure, but I, um, I'm not sure whether you know there's therapy, um, and and I believe everyone should have therapy. I don't know how I would have survived without therapy during that time, and um and and that had a role all of its own, but this had a completely different role. Um, I might be wrong about this. I'm sure that some um, language uh, um, etymologist uh, would phone in at some point and tell me I was wrong. But as far as I understand it, the, um, the etymology of therapy is um, the healing. The healing um, is from the Greek word therapia, which means healing through engagement with the creative arts. So, um, in fact, the, the, the link between the arts and therapy is, is, is in the word. Um, it's rooted, rooted in the word. Um, but I, I don't know that therapy is ne- um, writing necessarily. It's therapy, therapy is something completely different. But writing, um, the the engagement both both of um, making something creative and of engaging with somebody else's creative work um, is in its own way um, healing and thought provoking, mm-hmm. and um, and provides a way in which we can explore ourselves in the world in a new way. And that kind of awareness is of its own always almost always a good thing. It's a process. It's moving forward and changing. Yes. Uh, yes, the, the thing about the therapy issue is that it always sounds a little bit of oh, shame when you say, was mm. it therapeutic? And that wasn't really the point of the question, but I thought I'd get it out of the way mm. because when a lot of people assume, yes. you know, well, write it down. It will help you so much. Yes. Um, but it's interesting that you say it comes from a sort of slightly different place. But it does mean that you've, uh, that through pain one 
can be creative as well, which is a very good thing. You mentioned language there. I just wanted to talk to you about language a little bit yeah. because you use, there are some in Afrikaans, some in English. Yes. Language for you is important? Yes. Um, I, I write in Afrikaans um, uh, sometimes, and um, I'm not, I don't feel as confident writing in Afrikaans as I do in English, although Afrikaans is my mother tongue. Um, so I have to tell the story I've told a thousand times because people always ask me. I don't have a drop of English blood in me. Um, my father is German and my mother is Afrikaans. And the reason I went to an English school, so goes the story, is because they couldn't compromise. He wanted me to go to a German school and she wanted me to go to an Afrikaans school, so they sent me to an English school. So I write in English. And sometimes um, poems come to me in Afrikaans. Sometimes snippets of sound come to me in German. I can speak and read German, but I certainly can't write in German. But the reason why it's important for me is because... Um, I have a lot of contact with, with young poets, and um, a lot of people feel that it's really important, if you want to be a poet, to be able to write in English. Um, and that sort of um, language imperialism is stifling. And it's, um, I think it should be fought against on an individual level. And I can listen to poetry in any language because of the music of poetry. It is truly beautiful. And if I don't understand your poem, it doesn't matter because I, you know, I've listened to the, to the music. And if I really want to know what it means, I can find out. So poems can always be translated into another language.